Imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Well, hello, hello. It is warming up out here. We're having just crazy warm weather. But it's a fun time to enjoy the birds and taking walks. Well, our little Maka Aussie dog is loving the outdoors. Well, this is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show podcast featuring exceptional people around the world who inspire positive thought and action. I find amazing positive imprints in every corner of the world. Exceptional people are always rising to the challenge, and I'm so glad you're here to listen to these stories. Your positive imprint. What's your PI? Well, today's guest is a well-known singer, songwriter, and music therapist. He's full of humor, talent, and compassion. But first, you can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint, Twitter, What's Your PI, and I have my YouTube channel, Your Positive Imprint, with a few videos now available. Music by the very talented composer and pianist, Chris Knoll. Check out his absolute fabulous music at chrisknoll.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E.com. Or, of course, check him out on Spotify. Music used for this podcast is Gumbalaya and Elevated Intentions. Join my email list and continue listening from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, or, as always, listen from iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, or simply your favorite podcast platform. And please do me the favor and just tap that subscribe, download, or follow button, as well as the five-star rating. I would love that support. And remember, this is a free podcast. So here's a question for you before I introduce my talented guest. What is therapeutic for you in life? Is it music, movies, ice skating, writing stories, songs, poetry, playing the guitar? When I asked today's guest to be on the show, I thought about the many conversations that we two, the two of us, have had about music therapy. My guest, Mac Bailey. (laughs) Yep, I have a lot of listeners who know Mac. He has an exciting, extensive music career. I met Mac now, oh my gosh, over 20 years ago. And about 15 years ago, Mac told me he wanted to get his master's in music therapy. We talked through emails about him interning at the school that I was teaching at, and I could hear Mac laughing as he would reply, well, I need to go get my master's first. Well, there's so much to the story, but I will cut it short. Mac writes songs, and he's playing right now. (laughs) Incredible song. And I produce the song's children's environmental educational movies. Well, Mac has always provided support to my students through email letters and his voice and music for those movies. It's been such a fun journey chatting with Mac about all of his positive imprints throughout the years that I've had the pleasure of knowing him. (laughs) There's so much to you, Mac. (laughs) He has quite the story to tell about his journey from the stage to music therapy of the Rockies. And it's not what it's not what you get from the music, but what the music gets from you, right? Well not what it's not what you get out of the music, but what the music gets out of you. 
Thank you. Well, Mac Bailey, you are such an exceptional person, and welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Great uh, welcome to the backyard here. This is uh, our little, you know, when, when you're in isolation, this is uh, <laughs> not a bad place to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a gorgeous place. I'm so glad that we were able to do this in person. Well, six yeah. feet apart. Yep. We've had to set up these mics kind of at a distance here, but we're able to be in front of each other, and that's really awesome. And there's just, Mac, there's so much about you that people would love to just learn about you and, and, and be a part of your joy and also a part of your pain. Because there's, you know, with the job that you're doing now, you lose people. And I just read, you know, you lost a friend back in October, November, and, and we'll get to what you do now and how you got there because it's a beautiful story of how you arrived at this beautiful place where you're at. I want to remind my listeners that music and singing and writing songs, as Christopher Marciano, one of my guests said, I feel my pain, I sing my pain. I feel my happiness, I sing my happiness. And that's... It's a nice quote. It is a nice quote. So again, thank you, Mac, so much. Let's get started on who you are. Um, Well, I I grew up uh, on the East Coast. I was always an East Coast person. Uh, I attended uh, the North Carolina School of the Arts uh, for my uh, junior and senior year in high school and uh, started college there. But my dream was to to get the real college experience because the School of the Arts was a very small uh, uh, conservatory for uh, dance, drama, uh, design and production, visual arts, and music. Um, and I kind of wanted that college experience. So I, w- I transferred to, to UNC Chapel Hill for uh, about a year and a half. That, that was not a, uh, <laughs> my, my shining uh, moment as, a, as a, um, an academic. <laughs> and, uh, so, We've uh, all had those experiences. <laughs> fortunately. Uh, but, but I was in a band there, that uh, Blue Moon Saloon Band, which was uh, really one of the, a lot of fun. And, uh, but uh, the right choice was for me to go back to the School of the Arts, and that's when I, I, where I graduated with my bachelor in, in uh, vocal performance. Um, so I've always been an East Coast uh, person, and uh, performing, I was very fortunate with the, the people I was able to perform with. You know, I'm, I think one of the, the greatest uh, comments I can, I can make as a musician is that as a folk singer, uh, my dad introduced me to uh, acts like, uh, you know, the music of the Kingston Trio, the uh, Limelighters, the uh, New Christie Minstrels, the Smothers Brothers. And, uh, and it's really exciting to know that I've worked with each and every one of those in particular. Uh, I've worked with, uh, I never got to meet Mary, but I've worked with Peter and, and Noel Paul. It's, it's been a, it's an amazing ride. I, I think I got to the point where... Um, Building other people up was way more important than building me up, almost. And uh, and I think that's a, a strange place to be in. And um, so I loved performing, but I found that I loved working with people more and uh, and helping people. There was something about uh, improving other people's lives that that made my life feel so much more fulfilled than just thinking of my own schedule, my own wants, and my own needs. 
And that is such a positive imprint that you do have. And one of the things that is so true is what you said about wanting to help others. Because through the years, I've been able to be there watching you after our conversations. And if you remember, you you started out thinking about the kids in the classroom and doing music therapy and how it affects kids learning. But then, so thankfully, you didn't accept my invitation there in the classroom because you found such a wonderful path with the veterans. There's an organization here uh, called Challenge Aspen, and they have a a program, CAMO, that is for uh, veterans. Uh, Challenge Challenge Aspen's mission and mantra is to uh, make abilities out of disabilities. And so they they do a lot of adaptive um, and special needs uh, work but they also have a, a wonderful veterans program. And so I started, um, I had always done songwriting therapeutically. I used to do songwriting with uh, classrooms, seniors at, at one particular school in Maryland, uh, the Severn School. And so I started uh, coming to the retreats for the veterans. And I would add about a you know two hour. We'd have a two hour component of music therapy where we would uh, write a song about whatever they had done that day. And most of the time, they were involved with uh, hippotherapy with the horses, and uh, and so we would write these incredible songs about their their work with the horses. And and one of the the my favorites was. Uh, this song called trust and with veterans of course you know here they are trying to trying to adapt to a world where um where before in the military everybody had everybody's back and you just you you worried about everybody else because you knew somebody else was wor- everybody else was worried about you and then all of a sudden you get out of the military and, and that doesn't philosophy doesn't work anymore and uh and you don't you know you don't trust your your spouse because your spouse wasn't military you know so it, it, it's a it's a real uh dangerous cycle with the working with the horses i remember we were sitting around and songs always just start with you know one simple question you know uh, to me uh, and to to get started and and we were talking about the fact i said so what did they ask you to do and they said well they just gave us the bridle and told us to go out to the pasture and get the horse and bring him back and I'm like, great, great. What did that feel like? And they said, I was scared half to death. And I said, I don't blame you. I said, what do you think the horse was feeling? And they said, he was probably scared too. Yeah, yeah. And so we wrote this great song about trust and how in order for the horse to trust you, you've got to trust the horse. And uh, and and it was a really powerful moment of for for me and hopefully for some of them to realize that, that give and take, that we can make a lot out of everything, but it usually comes down to a very simple point. And that point is you, you have to trust the horse, but the tr- horse has to trust you. And I see that in, in life and everything, you know, because we, we end up getting our own judgmental um, uh, opinions that uh, uh, keep us from trusting individuals that we don't even know. You know, it's it's cra- kind of crazy when you think about it that way. Uh, so I, I loved doing those songs and the and the songwriting. And when uh, we finally made the decision to come off the road, I was working with the Limelighters. Um, that was my my most consistent gig. And uh, and it just got to the point that the 2008 um, recession really hit our demographic very hard, to the point where we had to make the choice to either lower our fee to keep getting jobs 
with the fear that the fee would never go back up or keep your fee where it is and see how many jobs you get. And we made the choice to, to lower the fee because we needed just needed to be out there playing and uh it, it just didn't didn't work well for that and um so uh rachel and i were talking about different things we could do and and uh i started a conversation with colorado state university about uh getting in their their music therapy program because at the time i was still doing work at, um i was going into nursing homes but i felt like you know if i had credentials as a certified music therapist that uh you know it just would make uh it would make everything easier, uh, more legitimate. And so I, I was able to go back to school. Uh, I spent a lot of time because it, the music therapy uh, program I was in was neurologic music therapy. So we had to take a lot of uh, courses in psychology. And um, so as preparation for that, while we were still on the road, I signed up for numerous courses with, uh, I think, University of Phoenix just to get online courses on all the psychology I could get and that just started getting me all excited I mean that I think that's you know when you talk about going back to school you know we when you just work you forget how exciting mm-hmm. knowledge is that is true and uh, and I got to the point where I just I started just soaking it up and uh, and so when I finally made the choice to start the program of course I, I could have been all of my classmates' father, and some of my professors, <laughs> and uh, and that was you know I was fine. I, you know they accepted me, and and uh, and I of course I was the one that you know the teachers would the professors would say something like, and so this is this happens because of this, and all the students are just writing it down because that's what the professor says, <laughs> and I'm in the back of the room and I'm like, I've got a little bit of life experience that tells me that that doesn't mean that that's not true. And they, I think they got to the point where they hated when my hand was going up <laughs> because oh, I, I was, you know, 50 years old and I had so much life experience. They were like, oh, here it goes again. Um, but it was uh, one of the cool things about going back to school was with neurolo- neurologic music therapy, I had to take neuro, a 500 level course on neuroanatomy. And I remember going into that first lecture and she spoke for, for an hour without a break, without a um, hum, uh, she just spoke and I'm taking notes like this. I'm old school. So I'm just taking notes and, and, uh, and she finished and I'm like, wow, she just covered everything about the brain in the first day. What are we going to do the rest of the semester? <laughs> and the next thing I knew we were in lab. And when we arrived in the lab class, they gave us a bucket and inside the bucket were two brains. And that's what we worked with for the semester. And we were told that that uh, those brains were students that didn't do well. So uh, the, the motivation to oh, do well yes, was... Oh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I, that's when I became so fascinated by the brain and just realized that, you know, I, all, there are all kinds of, of psychotherapy, and, and I, all of them have credence and, and are definitely valuable to every individual because you know we're not all it's not cookie cutter that's right but i did feel like the brain is our our mainframe our our control center and so if you don't really address thoughts can be manipulated in the brain but if you don't really deal with what's going on in the brain then i don't think you're making permanent changes 
And, uh, and so that's what started my program for the veterans was looking at brain scan, brain imaging of what the brain looks like, what's, what's working well, what's working terribly with a brain with PTSD, and then taking another brain scan of, of what the brain looks like with music and just putting one map on top of the other and saying if, if something's under firing in the PTSD brain, can music uh, make that level out? And so that's where it all came about. And I'm real excited. We'll, I'll, I'll share some uh, things coming up uh, for our organization real soon because yeah. I'm very, very excited about it. When I was working on my master's, I did uh, one of my papers on math and instrumental music, classical mm. music. There were a lot of studies worldwide uh, with regard to the college students. This was at the college level. College level students doing better in their math classes when they had certain classical music on. It was interesting. And then, of course, my background in literacy, which is all brain-oriented. For my area of, of study, it was learning where that brain has to, or not where the brain, but where speech and sound has to start from and be developed properly in the brain for a child to move ahead in order to read. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, music and words are man-made. How are we going to develop the brain in in any of it? And you have songwriting. Was there any event that happened, or is it something inspires you and you write about it? I remember the very the uh, I, I always say the very first song I wrote was uh, a song I wrote for my younger brother. It's called Little Boy's Christmas. I wrote that when I was thirteen. It's about uh, about Santa Claus falling asleep on the couch, <laughs> and, uh, um, and so he's like, you know, I know Santa's real because he slept on my couch last night. <laughs> I have memories of a partial song that I never finished. Of we had a, a an Irish setter, a beautiful dog, and she got hit by a car, and I rode oh. with my dad to take her to the vet, and she, she didn't make it. And I remember sitting in the back of the car, holding this dog, and. Write, starting to write a song because it, it captured all the emotions. Uh, and I do think that why math is, is so improved with uh, music, why music is so beneficial for math, is that the basic concept of music is structure, meter and structures. And so therefore, you're, you're, uh, you're structuring your, your thoughts in your brain it's almost like I, I picture it almost like filing cabinets where things get organized because of music, because it's got to be within a measure of music. You've got so much information that's laid out for you, but it's very structured and very there, there's a reason for every aspect of it because of the, the rules. And I think that's what it does for our brain is it kind of helps us structure our thoughts. And that's why therapeutic songwriting works, because with with veterans with PTSD, so many times their their thoughts are just free form like tornadoes going off in their head and they can't pinpoint any one thing about it so if you sit down and you say we're going to write a song about this one moment in time and uh, or one event one one or aspect whatever uh and and if the songwriter can keep the the veteran on track while they're working through it then all of a sudden they are narrowing down that that free form tornado into being able to think actually focus on that one moment and then once you put that one moment into a three-and-a-half-minute song, you can either embrace that and play it for everybody and say, this is my song, this is my story, this is I'm in control of this now. Or you can listen to it and you can say, you know what, I don't ever want to hear this ever again. And you can get rid of it. And so you, you, you have control over that 
that that more defined um, thought rather than having it just be a blip that flies by every now and then. I like what you said about writing it and then if you when you're done with it or whatever you can just throw it out and I think that's really important for people to like you say to have that control but also I think it's important to have that experience because some people don't even sit down to write anything Mm -hmm. and I think it feels good when you do write something and again uh, there's just amazing people like yourself who can work with people like the vets who have PTSD and you're able to remarkably compel them in such compassionate ways to help them not just to write the song but like you say to use it for their own therapy so that they can move forward. I want to just mention one because this this song really was a tearjerker for me when I listened to it. But it was a Vietnam vet who attended your workshop, and he wrote a song. He he had this vision in his mind for all of these decades of this little girl, a Vietnamese girl that he had met in, or he has, his paths crossed, I don't know the story, out in Vietnam. And that vision has never left him. And part of his PTSD was dealing with that, and when you worked with him, he wrote this beautiful song. You're shaking your head so you know which one I'm talking yes, about. Your face. Yeah. Uh, incredible. Pretty, strikingly compassionate and very tear-jerking. And, and unfortunately, the fellow who wrote the song was killed in a motorcycle accident of recent times. But I can just imagine the therapy just with that song and able to write... The ability to write music, uh, to collaborate the music and have those words to work through that. One of the things I've learned working with the veterans is that there are a lot of times, especially the, the well, pretty much all veterans have the, the, the capability of this, but they there's some very, 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 very dark humor. And to me, it used to, you know, feel uncom- it was uncomfortable for me because I'd never been in positions like that. And it, and I always kind of felt like maybe, you know, maybe that, maybe that's part of therapy is to help address those that dark humor kind of thing. But you realize that they they see horrendous things that I can never imagine, and and uh, quite honestly, don't want to imagine. And uh, and so dark humor helped get them through certain aspects of that. But for Gary, it was this young girl that was in the marketplace right across from the base, and he would go over there, and she was the one thing that stood out of, you know, in, in, in this hell. How, how, how is she going to do? You know, what, what's going to happen to this perfect little girl? And, uh, and so he kept that. Uh, that was what he held on to. That was his sanity. That little girl was, was his motivation, sanity, inspiration, he went to an event. It was a veterans event. A lady uh, was speaking, and she had written a book called Life in the Paddy Fields. And so he's listening to it and uh, has a copy of the book and finds that he's just it's hitting too close to home. And so he gets emotional and leaves the room, and he's sitting out in the hallway. And the author comes out and says, is everything okay? And he goes, I, it's just hitting close to home. I was stationed in Vietnam. I was right there. And so she sat down with him, and he said, and you know, 
the only thing I can remember is this little girl and and a tall lady with really black teeth that in the marketplace and in, in the in the veggie stand fruit stand, and the lady starts crying. It was her. Oh my gosh! She was the, the girl. Wow. And so they reunited, and he was able to play the song for her. He had written the song before this happened, so he was able to play it for her. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's just it, it's amazing that synchronicity and the and the and the the, the sense of hope you know what the connection that we all hold on to the connection the yeah. connection and one of my guests michael Pereira, he's a dancer in paris he said we are citizens of the world we are citizens of the world i mean we have connections we do connect we reach each other in different ways too and you have this ability which is just so exceptional and my podcast, of course, is The Exceptional People Rising to the Challenge, which you've done all your life. There was a period in my life um, where I was in, in deep depression that I was not even aware of. And, um, uh, you know, everything appeared to be incredible, playing concerts with the Heart Travelers, you know, playing solo shows and putting out CDs. And But it to me, it was like a... a, a roller coaster that I had to get off I mean it, it was just the the highs were very high the lows were very low and um, and I never talked to anybody and I never mentioned it to anybody everybody thought my life was perfect and I felt like I felt like I would be uh, complaining if I said anything because I, I was supposed to be presenting the life that everybody thought that I was living and the fact that I didn't talk to anybody about it at all or get any support or help my thoughts just kept getting darker and darker and then I started uh, having some behaviors uh, you know at one point in my life I was drinking a bottle of scotch every two days and uh, just doing you know it, it was not not good and I finally said to, to myself if this is life I don't want it and but you recognized it well, I recognized it in the way that I was. Re- I made a plan, and I was ready to carry it out. And um, I rehearsed, I practiced this plan, and I, I don't want to glamorize it by saying it was the eleventh hour, but it was. It was pretty close to to not having any hope at all, and I, I uh, wrote this song just because. And uh, you know, I, I stood in my daughter's bedroom and I said, "What would I tell her?" And the first thought that came to my mind was, just because you can't see me doesn't mean I'm not there. And I just started crying, and I just started writing, and um, came up with a melody. And uh, and and I realized later on, not, not while it was happening, but every time I would play whatever I was working on, I would focus on something different. I would focus on the melody line, or I would focus on the guitar part, or something like that. And I just kept adding degrees of separation between the trauma itself, but I was still not changing the story. It was still my story. And so uh, I, I got kind of stuck. I had a, a, the chorus, and I had a, a verse, and I needed one more verse. And I happened to be in an event with uh, Tom Paxton, the folk singer. And, uh, and I said, Tom, I got the song. I can't finish. And we ended up finishing it together. And, uh, and it, even when I started playing it, I didn't own up to the story and and people uh, would come up and say oh I know who you you know you wrote that for John or you wrote that for your mom or you you know I know you, you, I, I get where you were from or you know they would identify and I never I never corrected anybody 
when I went back to school and, and wanted to become an actual music therapist, that's when it dawned on me that if, if I'm not honest about my own story, how can I expect anybody to be honest with me about theirs? Just because you can't see me Doesn't mean I'm not there Just because you can't hear me Doesn't mean I don't care Just because you can't make me appear Out of that air Just because you can't hold me Doesn't mean I'm not there Just because you can't hold me Doesn't mean I'm not there Doesn't mean I'm not there Whatever may come, love I'll always be there Uh, And so that is part of the opening um, that I do with the veterans. That's my connection to the veterans is, is feeling like you're supposed to be the tough guy that you can battle through this and you, you don't have to, you know, you don't ask for help because it's going to backfire on you. And that a lot of veterans feel it. You know, they, they, that's what the military system is. If you ask for help, it's going to backfire on you, not on anybody else. And I felt like if I asked for help, it would show a weakness and all of a sudden my music would mean less or something like that. And uh, so that's our connection. And, and I'm, I mean, that song literally, literally saved my life. So music, obviously, was your therapy, and you recognized that, and you were able to move forward. Did it help you get off of the scotch, or did you have to go to meetings, or were you just able to stop the scotch? No, I, I, I've never had an addictive personality, so it, that, it, it really, I'm very glad about that. I'm, I feel Me very too. fortunate because Me I know too. that I, I'm a believer that just because I have... Uh, I am one way doesn't mean everybody else is that That's way. That's right. In fact, it's just the opposite. It right. means if I am that way, that means somebody else is that way. Because if, it, if it's, a, if it's a, a possibility, if it's a feeling, then it's out there. And if I don't have it, somebody else does it, you know, if, if that makes sense. Sure, absolutely. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I was very, for, very, very fortunate that I don't have an addictive personality. And so I, I was able to, to uh, you know, once I realized that I, I didn't, like the feeling I didn't want to do that uh it it was able to it uh made things a lot clearer for sure but it it still took me a while from when I wrote the song to actually just because getting control of my life yeah well you know there's for most everybody who can identify a specific event or a different path that they were on and they decide to take a different path those are the people who don't continue on that that path of destruction are the ones that seem to be they pull themselves up and they become people like you and people like other people that I've had on the podcast who are exceptional and who recognize their faults as ways to reach others to have that connection with humanity because that is I mean humanity we have faults there's no buts about it we have faults and our connection is through our success, absolutely yes, but also through our, fa- not failings, but through our faults and through our experiences that weren't positive. Because I never like to look at 
experiences as failings because obviously they're not. You came out of... They're part of our story. That is. It is part of your story that makes you the positive, wonderful person that you are. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to have struggles again along All your right. journey. Well, that's... Um, I have two two philosophies. One is that I want to um, help identify triggers in people, mm-hmm. and I want to ha- I want to supply them with enough coping skills so that they become their own therapist. So that when those coping skill when those triggers are activated, then the they they have the coping skills to go for that. Um, and I focus on the physiological responses to uh, which is evidence based, right? And and so you know if if you have anger issues, if you allow yourself to let the anger go all the way, there's there's absolutely no way you can deal with anger when you're angry. And so I focus on what's that first thing that you notice, whether it's clenching your fist, your jaw, your heart rate. What what is it? And then focus on that. And then you know use your deep breathing to calm yourself down. Then deal with the situation rather than letting it go ahead and go all the way to angry. Uh, and you can do that with any any of the uh, behavioral issues. Um, the other thing that I, I really work with, and and everything I do is is my own life experience. It's my it's my own therapy for myself because I never saw a therapist when I was going through my issues. And and but I, when I would read about psycho- psychology or or any other the situations, I would always try to um, I would be open to seeing myself in whatever I read. Uh, so that I could make sense of it in that way. And so my big philosophy now is that there are only two guarantees in life, and only two. One is that we're all going to die. And the only other guarantee we have is that each one of us is going to spend every single day of our life with ourselves. And what that means to me is that we need to learn to like ourselves, love ourselves, and trust ourselves. And those are three different things um, that, that allow us to make the best decisions that we can make and not get wrapped up in uh, biases and, and uh, judgments and things like that. But, you know, really, really like yourself as a person. Enjoy being with yourself. Enjoy being able to, to sit, sit alone with no other stimulation for a period of time. Love yourself by taking care of yourself and realizing you're the only one you got. And then trusting yourself that you have the capability of looking at two sides and then making a, an informed decision as opposed to just jumping on an emotional bandwagon. And I really think if, if we could get the more people that we could get to do that, because I, I really don't feel like that many people know themselves. They just kind of, they wake up and they go through life. They're focused on the, the outer stimulus and not enough people really focus. And, and meditation does this for us. You know, you can reach in. I, one thing I've learned about all these different kinds of psychology and, and uh, you know, there are different kind of buzzwords and different kind of things like that. And, and each one uh, hits people in different ways. You know, like sometimes I'll hear something and I'm like, well, that's just a little too metaphorical for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, it, it doesn't really pertain. You know, I, 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 it's not grasping me. And so I just, I don't, I don't. Uh, believe that you know everybody's going to to uh, understand what I mean by that, but I I do believe that there are, are people that will, and and so that's why I want to try to get that message out of just like yourself, love yourself, and trust yourself, and and make that the priority. You know I I I, um, I, I do believe that we need to elevate ourselves 
so that we can be stronger for everybody else. Oh, and, um, absolutely. Instead of trying, you know, instead of always putting people above us. Um, but when you put yourself up there, you don't do it at the expense of others. You know, you, you, you keep yourself up there so that you can be strong enough for others. And that's why I believe in this podcast so much, because I think, you know, the emails that I get from people, they, they're inspired by people like you and, and the other guests. And I won't get into that, but I want to mention one email I received, a fellow from West Africa. And he sent me an email and he said, Catherine, I have changed because of your podcast. Hmm. And he basically was me, was saying what you are saying, that he's understanding himself and loving himself better because he discovered a new him. And maybe not a new him, he, he pulled himself out. And so that's how I see it, is that somebody inspired him, whichever podcast it was he or whichever episode, it inspired him. So let's let's talk a little bit more about your therapy and your retreats and I've got several veterans who might want to hook up with you or just people who want to know what you're doing because what you're doing can be maybe duplicated in another country. That'd be great. Uh, Well, the the organization is Music Therapy of the Rockies and the website is musictherapyoftherockies.org and we focus right now on uh, on the veteran population and we hold uh, two and a half day retreats. The first uh, uh, on Friday night, and we hold these around the uh, around the country. We have them in Iowa, Tennessee, uh, Maryland, Georgia, and we're adding Massachusetts and adding Colorado. The opening night is just an opening dinner where the, the people can come and see the location they're going to be. They want them to bring their family so the family sees what's going to be happening. And it's also my time to do my assessment of the veterans because I don't meet them beforehand. And that's where I learn, you know, I, I learn as much about them. And then I can pair them with the songwriters so that we have the best possible relationship. Um, do you do one-on-one with the veterans? Our goal started out as having uh, 12 veterans and uh, and six songwriters. So each songwriter would work with two veterans, which is asking an awful lot of them. But I, I'm very, very, I'm so in awe and uh, <laughs> of my my songwriters that uh, that work for work with the veterans with with the retreats and um, and the the songs they come out with are just amazing, absolutely amazing. So that's Friday night, and then Saturday. Uh, we start off with a with a light breakfast, and then we have a mindfulness circle where we talk about deep breathing, and we talk about active listening of like you know if we're sitting out here outside, beautiful. Uh, we always try to have an event on a, like a farm or a ranch or something like that, and I just have them focus on one sound and just listen to that one sound, whether it's a bird, whether it's the leaves rustling, whether it's something, and uh, whether that's that truck over that way, uh, and and you, you teach them that. You focus on that sound, and uh, and you, your mind may wander, and that's great. Once you realize that your mind has wandered, come right back and focus on that sound. Uh, I, I always ex- uh, share the experience of going to Red Rocks here in Colorado to see uh, Allison Krauss, and they came out and uh, you know they amazing band, and I, I like to be able to sit back and watch one particular musician, like a, a, say the mandolin player. And, and you really just focus on him. And it's like if, you, if your mind allows you to focus so much that he becomes the focus and almost like he's coming towards you, he, he, it's like he, he comes a little closer than the other people, even though nobody's moved. 
And it, and so we're capable of doing that. And, and that helps stop that tornado in the veterans, in the PTSD brain. Then after we do that, we do goal-setting exercises. Um, then we split into two groups. Half of the veterans will go with the songwriters at that point to various parts around the, the farm and, uh, and start just building a relationship uh, with each other and then writing a song. Uh, the other group stays with me. And at that point, I, I give them a brand-new Breed Love guitar. And I tell them that uh, when they were in the military, they had a, a weapon, and that weapon was a rifle, and it saved their life this guitar is now your weapon and it's going to save your life. That's fabulous. And, um, and the first thing, you know, when most people, you know, they're in shock. They're like, wait a minute, you're giving me this? I'm like, yeah, this is yours. Uh, and some of them don't know how to play. So we start off and I, I have them take their index finger and put it on the high E string and just pull it up towards the B string, feel the tension, and then just lower it back down and do that a couple of times. And they always, always equate that to the trigger finger which helps them reframe their relationship with their rifle. Interesting. Um, wow. Which is very cool. And then we, yeah. we work on, uh, as we sit there, and, and I teach them just simple single note lines like... Uh, um, and we just work on simple things like that. But I notice that you know when when you start seeing that since they don't have calluses, you'll see them start doing this or whatever, their fingers oh, are hurting. Yeah. So at that point... Um, that's where I back off from playing because if I, if, if I get their fingers so they hurt so much, what's the one thing they're not going to do? They're not going to pick up the guitar. <laughs> so I've got to help monitor how they, how long they play. <laughs> but at that point, that's when I just open up questions and, um, and I'll ask some kind of a, a question of, of, uh, you know, what, what I, I'll, I can't even give an example right now, but some of the comments that come out of those uh, therapy sessions and that's why I call it guitar therapy is because you have a guitar you're using the guitar not to learn songs but to learn to to for me it was my best friend and that's what I want to provide for somebody else is that opportunity and um, and we've had people make comments like one one veteran said uh, it took me two years after I discharged to get used to hearing my first name again oh my goodness and I'm like you know yeah. that's not something I would ever consider Right. And yeah. uh, and somebody else, as soon as that was said, another veteran said, yeah, you don't understand the intimacy of your first name until you don't have it. You know, it, it, those kinds of things just open up incredible conversations uh, for the actual therapy. And I think that's that's one of the things that really just sets us apart from everybody else is that we are focused on the evidence based therapy rather than just the activity of of writing a song or learning how to play a song on the guitar. In fact, uh, I guess the, the three things I'm most proud of is um, at three different retreats, I've had three different veterans bring their service dog for Friday night and bring their service dog for Saturday. And we see an, a huge, enormous physiological change in physical change in veterans between Saturday and Sunday. And these three veterans all of a sudden didn't bring their, their service dog with them on Sunday. And I'm like, where's the dog? That is said, incredible. They said, I felt safe without him today. And I said, really, how often does that happen? Two of them said, never, 24-7. And the other one said, I think I went to the store once. And one of the things that we do is we, we keep in touch with our veterans uh, through Facebook, through whatever. And those three veterans, and I've talked to, talked to each one of them, those dogs are still not being used as service dogs. And to me, that is the greatest gift that I could give 
a veteran because a, a service dog, even though it, it uh, provides support, is a stigma. And, um, and to, to take away part of a stigma for a veteran is huge. Well, congratulations on that, just because you, have, you did make that connection with them. And that's, that's, a, that's just an incredible feat. It's hard to, I, I think, when people are going through such difficult times for such a long time, uh, and we don't understand the brain, but then you have done the studies. And in fact, you're still doing some studies. So my, my belief is that when you look at a brain scan, a brain imaging of uh, a veteran with PTSD, it'll show you what parts are firing, overfiring, and what parts are underfiring. And, uh, and from, from my research, the prefrontal cortex, where all our decision-making is, our executive functioning, uh, a lot of our motor movements, um, is all right up here. And, and that's under-firing. And the amygdala, which is right. our limbic system, which is the emotions and the memories, um, is over-firing. So the brain, if you, if you picture the brain from a side angle, from a profile... It would be like a teeter-totter at one angle where the, the, every decision would be based on the memories or the emotions. And that's why veterans sometimes will refuse to leave their house. Veterans will refuse to, you know, they, they don't get out of their pajamas. And, uh, and so what, with music, the, just playing simple melody like this is once again structuring the brain and is activating this part right here. They say that a jazz pianist, when he's doing improv, that the prefrontal cortex is firing like no other time because it's just it's, it's constantly structuring all, all the thoughts. And, uh, and so my goal is to raise the prefrontal cortex, lower the amygdala, the emotions, so that the brain's at a level playing field. So rather than having either anger or non-anger, there's a lot of gray in there, and, and they learn the word frustration. They learn the word disappointed. So it's not all about just uh, zero to anger in, in you know, five seconds uh, kind of thing. And, uh, and that's, so that's what we, I want to do. And the exciting thing for me is that we are going to be partnering with a, a, a brain imaging organization. And so at our next retreat in uh, Tennessee, we're going to send a veteran down there to do a brain imaging then come to a retreat, and then we're going to send him right back, and we'll have a difference. Then we can have a before and after of an actual oh, brain so you're scan. you're going to start collecting some concrete data there. This is what I love about music therapy, the fact that it is, it is so set on being evidence-based. Right. Because music as a whole is so subjective. You know, mm -hmm. for, for me to be able to point in the, at the veteran and say, look, I mean, he's smiling. He wasn't smiling yesterday. He's smiling now. Doesn't mean anything. Right. But if I can show in the brain that there's an actual change, that we're actually rewiring the brain, then hopefully we're going to be making a permanent change. So a question on the amygdala. When you say overfiring, is the amygdala, is that just a, a form of speech you used? Or is the amygdala actually larger? And so it is literally what is overfiring. Brain imaging is done more from uh, blood flow. Okay. So when you see a, a really a red firing area, that just means there's a, a lot of blood flow there okay. in that area. And the amygdala is going to be what's going to give you that fight or flight uh, response. And so if that's really getting all the blood flow and that's where all the attention is, that's what your body is feeling constantly is that sense of 
uh, fight or flight, um, right. you know, just riding the wave. And I feel like that's kind of where I was in my depression was, uh, you know, just hang on for the ride, the wave and, and decide if you're going to fight or flight. And, uh, and so that whether to say that it's enlarged, that I don't know. But I, I, I do know that it just means that there's more blood flow coming to that area. With what you're saying, it's all making sense now with the breathing. So the breathing exercise is helping to calm yourself, which the blood flow then will be more distributed throughout your body. And doing certain exercises, doing the music therapy. Uh, Jennifer Knoll, as you know, works with stroke victims. And so they're going to have different issues with different parts of their brain. And so trying to, not just the therapy, but the physicality of getting everything back centralized within your body. This is interesting because, of course, interesting because my background being in literacy has a lot to do with the brain and the amygdala. Ah, just so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I I love it. I mean, I really do. Yeah. Yeah. And now you are holding this absolute gorgeous guitar. I know it's new. It is new. Yes. Well, it's funny that... uh, um, as a nonprofit, I've tried my best to learn from other organizations' mistakes. There are a lot of times, you know, you, you buy a, a, an airline ticket for a veteran and his family and say, here's a free trip to Aspen. We got a hotel for you. We got all this other stuff. But with PTSD, you don't really know. And they could walk up to the airport and say, there's no way I'm getting on a plane. Mm-hmm. And then you're out the plane ticket, you're out the hotel. So I, rather than bringing them here to Aspen, I go to them. Uh, for a number of reasons. One, because I can't afford, you know, I, I don't believe in the model of bringing them here. I can't afford that. And I'm not going to spend all my time raising money to do that. I would rather be doing the therapy than buying plane tickets. Uh, so uh, I go to them. My retreats are not overnights unless unless it's it's the only option. And I do have that in Iowa. We, we all are at a camp. Uh, but I want them going home that Saturday night, and I want them putting into perspective what we just talked about that day. And I want them walking in the door, bringing a brand new breed love guitar. And I want them, I want people, the family going, where'd you get that? And they always say, this guy, this guy from Colorado just gave me a guitar, you know? And, uh, and, and so you're, you're starting, you're starting to put into practice what you're, you're trying to preach by doing that. Right. And, um, so I, I also learned from uh, other organizations that I don't want to spend all my time trying to get donated guitars because all you're doing is just you, you go from one place to another until you wear out your welcome. And so I have an agreement with Breed Love that uh, they gave me a price. I said, yeah, that works in my budget. And so um, uh, I, I get all my guitars from them. And so I've bought, you know, well over a hundred and... Well, I bought 60, 60 guitars from them last year. I didn't have a Breedlove guitar myself. And so I, uh, and, and when I travel, I don't want to carry a big guitar, so I, I want a travel guitar. And so I, I always used my little Martin, my baby Martin. And so finally, I, I, when I was talking with Breedlove one time, and I said, you know, I'm putting Breedloves in their hands, but I'm still playing a Martin. And they're like, well, we don't want you playing a Martin. So they sent me this little companion, which is, uh, it's, it's not quite as uh, small as the Martin, but it's definitely uh, a, a travel guitar that, uh, 
that I'll, I'll be able to use now. And I'm just grateful for my relationship with Breedlove, and uh, they've been incredibly supportive. In fact, this is another thing that's been very cool. Breedlove did a, a an interview on my story, and uh, a veteran in, uh, uh, not a veteran, I mean active duty captain, Air Force captain in Iraq saw that interview and uh, sent me an email and just said, if you would consider sending a couple of guitars over to our company, uh, it, you, you can't imagine the, what it, the boost for the morale that it would be. So Breedlove and I par- partnered on this, and, and uh, you know, I paid for them to, to ship two guitars over to Iraq. And they just arrived recently, and we're going to now set up Zoom guitar sessions with, with the active duty veterans oh that's just awesome so we're trying to you know we're trying to we're trying to embrace the whole aspect of it Uh, you know i'd love for our brother-in-law my husband my brother-in-law glenn who was he's a vietnam war vet he has quite a story to tell he survived cpr uh, and is alive and well today and he plays guitar but i would love for him to go to one of the retreats He, he just he doesn't talk about uh, the war, he just doesn't talk about it. I, I I can't even imagine, you know. And that's that's something that, um, you know, even if you, we right on this patio that we're sitting on right now, I had fifteen ladies that were all uh, part of a military sexual trauma group. So each one of them had been assaulted or had some kind of an experience uh, in the military that that was a a, a trauma, sexual trauma. They allowed me to sit in their circle, and we wrote an incredible song that everybody participated in. There's something magical about a lot of times veterans hold memories that they're afraid to share because they're horrendous, or they feel guilty. Uh, they they feel guilty about a choice they made that the, uh, an order that they had to carry out, and we don't understand that. We don't. I don't. I don't understand that. And so uh, there's a sense of um, a shame, being ashamed, being feeling guilty uh, of of that thought. So when you share it with a songwriter, or when you share it with with a with a uh, just a, a friend or or whatever, it's uh, you're afraid of what the response is going to be that you're going to get back. But I've always felt, because of my experience as a songwriter, you're writing about stories and things like that, that all of a sudden you, uh, you know, you share it with a songwriter and you say, well, I, I did this. And then you wait for the drop, you know, of, of, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that. But songwriters, <laughs> most of the time are like, are you serious? That's awesome. Let's, I love that line. That's incredible. Let's, let's, you know, write that down. All of a sudden, it's, it's not so, it's, it's not a, a, a dangerous thing to share. And it reframes how they can tell the story. And it just adds to them. It's the step of being able to take control of how you want your story told. In your time of sadness, deep in despair, world is so dark and so unfair and nothing is going right desperately trying to find the light and no matter how lost you are 
matter how in doubt just remember in the darkness is when the stars come out in the darkness the stars come out you don't have to go far just look inside your heart you'll find the answers to the questions tearing you apart and hope will find you somewhere in the light just keep looking up until your spirit takes flight and no matter how lost you are no matter how in doubt just remember in the darkness is when the stars come out in the darkness the stars come out it's not as dark as it may seem light is always setting you free and no matter how lost you are no matter how in doubt just remember darkness is when the stars come out in the darkness the stars come out and no matter how lost you are no matter how in doubt just remember in the darkness is when the stars come out in the darkness the stars in the darkness, the stars, in the darkness, the stars come out. <laughs> Mac Bailey, everybody, singing and on the piano, When the Stars Come Out. And this story is told by Stephanie Dubik. Stephanie, you did a great job telling your story with these lyrics. Listeners, how do you want your story told? That's a great reflective question. Mac will showcase this song, When the Stars Come Out, with the story behind it, along with more fabulous music, wonderful tales, and of course, positive imprints about veterans and how music is rewiring their brain. Part two next week with legendary singer-songwriter Mac Bailey. Learn more about Mac at musictherapyoftherockies.org or, of course, macbailey.com. That's M-A-C-K-B-A-I-L-E-Y.com. And, of course, music for this podcast is by Chris Knoll. Check out Chris at chrisknoll.com, C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E.com. All music is copyrighted but used with permission. Music is available on iTunes, Spotify. Check out my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, where you can learn more about the guests and more about the show and sign up for email updates. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook, Your Positive Imprint, and LinkedIn. Connect with me on LinkedIn. And don't forget, part two with Mac Bailey next week, Monday. Your Positive Imprint. What's your P.I.?